Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Braverman. And I'm Ellen Selm. And welcome to our podcast, Stories from the Earth. Where we explore humankind's relationship and connection with the natural world. We would like to take a quick moment to invite our listeners to consider supporting us through a humble little donation. You can go to our anchor page, actually changed now to Spotify for podcasters. Anyway, the link will be in the description. I Spotify bought Anchor, so it just... It's a, yeah, <laughs> it's a weird name. Um, just click the support button and there's options to donate $1, $5 or $10 a month. And the donations will go towards helping us with future projects such as launching an er herbal educational curriculum. We've dubbed the People's Herb School as well as funding to help take the show on the road and do some on-site reviews and interviews at herb farms and schools and other interesting places relevant to our podcast. And in that note, I do also have a special announcement. If you're in the Asheville area, we will be doing our first live podcast at the Asheville Herb Festival. Um, right now, the date is May 5th at 11 a.m. So come, come see us live in person. <laughs> and we'll have a panel. And it will be great. I also record it. So if you miss it, you're not in the area, you'll be able to uh, still watch it and listen. Well, today we welcome back Lisa Wagoner, whom we previously interviewed in episode number 42 in our episode featuring of Wand and Earth, the Magical Mercantile of Marshall, North Carolina. Yeah. Today, Lisa joins us to discuss her book, Positive Pagan. Welcome, Lisa. First Thank off, you. let me say, I appreciate your disclaimer early in the book where the point is made that your aims shouldn't be confused with toxic positivity. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you make that disclaimer that there's not going to be like advice or extor extortions to remain endlessly positive? <laughs> yeah, extortions. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I spend a lot of time discussing the difference between what positive paganism is versus toxic positivity. And so, yeah, that usually comes up because I get it. I mean, people flinch at the word positive and uh, understandably, but for me, it's, it's an energy source that you can tap into. And I think people overlook that in like the first reaction to it. So that's pretty much what my book is about, how to tap into that energy source. I think it's kind of funny. Cause if I think back to like, even like my teen years and coming up to some of the, the Asheville area used to have so many more new age and spiritual shops, even than it does now. And that was like you know the positivity was the buzzword you know with yeah. everything it never fully sat right with me even then but it's interesting to kind of see the blowback now where people are wait a minute you mm -hmm. can't have magical thinking in the sense of if i just pretend that everything's fine everything's you know like yeah your book's more about there's actual work involved here, you know? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is um, I had a friend who said, well, aren't all po uh, pagans positive? And I was like, oh God, no. <laughs> and I find that a lot of people that I've met since the book has been released. I mean, I've been through a lot in my life, a lot of really dark stuff and dark events, tragic happenings and things like that. And I, I find that most people have, I mean, it's not like, I don't think any human emerges unscathed on this planet. So I think all of us have 
you know, some sort of darkness to it and it's how we respond to it and how we survive basically that keeps us going. And so that's where the book was sprung from that I think there is quite a few of us that it's tempered. It is tempered with reality. It's not, life is not all rainbows and unicorns by any stretch, but this is a way that you can get back to it because I feel like with that energy source, you can move towards what you want, you know, whether it be your spell work or, you know, things that you want in your life. To me, that is an energy source. What inspired this book and why did you want to write it? You know, when I first heard about the book, I thought it was very kind of, I don't know, some of these ideas have been floating around a while, but I thought it was kind of timely. I don't reinvent the wheel in the book by any stretch, but basically what happened was I write a blog uh, for Pathios called Witch Indeed. And it is basically about my life here in Asheville, um, you know, celebrating Wheel of the Year, things like that. And I noticed at the time, you know, we were going through a really negative period. I feel like in the pagan community, everybody was negative. The world is overwhelming. When is it not? But it was just this constant negativity. And I don't know, something just struck me and I wrote a blog called Being a Positive Pagan in Dark Times. And I have to say, like, the response to that blog was just so huge. I still get messages about it to this day, like, thank you, I feel seen, I don't feel comfortable espousing this, but I'm glad you did. I don't feel so alone, you know, that kind of thing. So from that, I, you know, I'd always wanted to write a book ever since I was little. So it wasn't like I had this subject in mind, coincidentally or not. I met um, an editor at Llewellyn and I gave her a proposal and I said, you know, I think this is something that we can tap into. I didn't really see any books about pagans being, you know, and positivity together. Like you said, there's a lot of new age kind of things. And so I wrote it. And it was really interesting because I started out like, oh, this is a fulfillment of my dream. And this is all about writing a book. And then it shifted about halfway through like the editing process. Like, no, I, I really want to help people. Like these are things I've done my whole entire life that helped me through some really, you know, dark moments. And so I want to be able to share that with other people and hopefully it will help them. Like I do bibliomancy, so I'll just randomly pick up a book and, and see if the passage you know, helps and hits. And I really wrote it with that in mind. And like I said, that shifted the focus for me. And I've had people tell me ever since that that's what they do, which is, I mean, this makes me so gratified because it'll be on their nightstand or in their backpack and they'll be having a bad day. And I'll get messages like with them with the picture of their book. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I opened the book. And this particular passage did help me. Thank you so much. So it was funny because when I was reading it straight through and I was like, I don't think this book is a straight through book. No, I mean, you can, I, if you can, want to, but yeah. it just, I feel like, again, like it's just sort of, I was like, it's sort of like, or at least it was like read a chapter and then, you know, pause. But yeah. it definitely didn't feel like you can have a subtitle that's like choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I sort of did think of that when I wrote it. I was like, here, just choose what you need. So yeah, so I did I did write it with that specifically in mind. Um, I mean, obviously the chapters are grouped together with specific purpose in each one, but I that's what I love doing with books. Like when I go to a bookstore and choose a book, I'll just randomly open it and see if it, you know, speaks to me. So that was the intent when I wrote it. Can you, well, I guess you more or less did briefly tell us what the book is about, but can you explain more of like maybe what's the best way to make use of the information therein aside from bibliomancy? Like how would you recommend 
Yeah, I, I do recommend looking at it through it straight through. I know it's so hard, especially nowadays, everybody's attention is always so diverted. But you can read it, you know, from cover to cover, but in more of a skimming kind of way. I mean, this isn't War and Peace. So it's just like, you know, just go through it and see what appeals to you. Bookmark it. I think I even mentioned like you can mark it with like bay leaves to set your intention. Um, and it is all about like making choices, doing action, because I feel that action helps move you towards, you know, what it is that you want. I mean, we've all had days where we, you know, watch TV and can't get off the couch. I get it. But out of that kind of energy or lack thereof, nothing really happens. So if you need sort of a boost, um, my favorite little mention is like, I can get from point A to point B, no problem. But getting me to point A, that can take months, if not years. Uh, so it's just this constant of, it's almost like muscle memory of doing actions and little things that sort of get you back to center so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. You were saying the thing about the bookmark. So I was just looking back through to be like, oh yeah, I, I dog-eared a few pages here. What did I do? I, I marked to come back to the gratitude altar, the herbal section, the positive pagan spread for tarot and oh just you're walking through each month of the year because i thought that was pretty cool so. yeah sometimes you don't have time to like you know look through all these long involved rituals and one of my favorite compliments is like oh my gosh your book is so accessible it's not like i have to go out and buy like all this stuff and i was like oh no i always make do with what i have at home and it's always great getting the stuff i mean i work at a metaphysical shop so i get it but you know it's it's all really accessible and easy to use, so. Yeah, I was noticing it's like little bite-sized bits, everything you're like, oh yeah, I, oh, I could do this. Yeah. It's just a, enough of a step to even, I think, do some of the steps. So like, it's good to make it. Oh, as as yeah, I see what you're saying. Cause if you're kind of feeling in a dark place, it might, yeah. it's already hard to get enough of the motivation going. So the more accessible, the easier yeah. you can turn exactly. it around. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think I even mentioned it in the forward. So during the editing of this book, <laughs> I have seasonal affective disorder and it was during the winter and I just completely stopped. Like I could not get out of bed. I think it was the year of COVID and I just could not move. And after a couple of weeks of this, I was like, wait a second, you wrote a whole book on the subject. And I literally went to my book and I was like, all right, you know, it is like muscle memory. And it was just like, okay, let me do this. Let me do this. And literally that's what got me through to complete it and do my part. Cause otherwise it was just dead in the water. It's a struggle for me every winter. And, you know, I've tried all different things and this past winter hasn't been too bad actually. So I, I do feel like it builds upon itself. So that's another little side benefit of the book. If you do it regularly, it can, you know, move you into doing more and hopefully overcoming obstacles and things like that. Yeah. Having a sort of a routine, or like, oh, I'm in a bad place. What do we do when I'm here? Yeah. You know, it's good to, to have those things to get help get you out of it. Yeah. Thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> so what section or chapter of the book is your favorite? And that might be a, a difficult question. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny because like I said, I do bibliomancy. So I even do it myself to the book and sometimes I'll pick it up and I literally forget for a split second that I wrote it. And I'm like, oh, that's good. <laughs> like, oh, that helped. And it's like, oh, wait, it was you. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, you know, honestly, my favorite is the the chapter on when it gets dark because I think people were surprised at that, and especially those that have you know practiced like witchcraft and magic for decades. Um, I've had them tell me like, thank you for that because a lot of books of this kind of genre that don't necessarily cover it, but I know what it's like. So um, I'm really proud of that chapter because I didn't want to be preachy and I didn't want to be like, you know, la la la, this is great. I wanted to really acknowledge that because it is, it's really hard being a human. And um, I'm really proud of that chapter and how it turned out. Would you um, like to read a short piece from the book to share with the audience? Well, strangely enough, yeah, that was actually the, the chapter that um, I wanted to read from. So if that's okay with yeah. you, yeah. I wanted to uh, read from that section. So there are periods in our lives when gratitude lists are not enough and times we'd prefer to hide from the world. Our personal lives can affect us negatively as well as our family, community, and reactions to world events. Healing from trauma can take a, a long time and can stop you from moving forward in any capacity. So being a positive pagan isn't centered on being endlessly positive no matter what happens. It's more focused on appreciating the light when we find it and finding our way back to a beneficial frame of mind. The way back is not a one-time journey, but a trip we may end up taking often. So I think that sort of sums yeah, it up nice. in a lot of ways. Who is this book written for and who did you have in mind as inspiration when you wrote this book? Well, I mean, it, it came from events sort of happening. It was like laying out puzzle pieces, you know, or stepping stones. Um, and I wrote it for the people that that don't feel seen because I know what that's like. I mean, I talk about it a little bit in the forward. I grew up with uh, a very maternal family and matriarchal. And so my grandmother and my mother had lived through Berlin and in Germany and during World War II, but their reactions to it were complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And as a child, you know, I would spend summers with my grandmother and I would see how my mom's life would be very negative and chaotic. And she was like the first person to be just like, well, you know, being positive is naive. Like, don't you read the news? Like, you need to read the news. You need to be informed. You need to be prepared. And I would be like, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family, I'm a, I was a very observant child. And so I watched the adults a lot. And then I'd spend time with my grandmother who went through a horrific time as well. I mean, she had five kids in the war while they're being bombed and her reaction was completely the opposite. She was just like, just keep it moving. Like, you know, um, I mean, she had her sad moments, but for the most part, it was like she had tapped into this energy and she kept it moving. So I think as a child, I sort of tucked that away. I think, honestly, I wrote it for both of them because I appreciate seeing both sides of it. That was really helpful. I really appreciate that you went into that, some of that backstory in the book and like the differences between those matriarchal influences in your life. Um, can you speak a little bit more about, uh, on that note, like maybe talk about why ancestral recognition is important, but also like healing and breaking the cycles to cultivate this positive life? Because it's like, you're obviously holding some reverence for what you learned through them while also being able to delineate, well, here's what I take away from it and here's what needs to be left behind. Yeah, thank you. That is like such a thoughtful question because I do definitely do ancestral work and 
my mother and her father, uh, we come from a very long line of dysfunction. And so it didn't occur to me, you know, like when you get married and you have kids, I have two sons and, you know, you don't sit there and think, oh, I have to end these generational, you know, uh, traumas. But as I got older and my children got older, it was definitely about choices. And I always felt like my mother made like the worst choices on the planet. It would be like she would always have these two very clear choices. And even as a child, like she, she loved to tell stories. And I'd be like, and you chose that? Why? Like, why did you choose that? And, you know, she was just this wild bohemian, like free spirit. And my grandmother was just much more methodical and like she would plan and she would, you know, aim for things. I knew internally, I just felt a lot calmer around her and I liked the way she lived her life. And so as an adult, especially I moved to Asheville about eight years ago and I have a whole bunch of ancestral stories and, and how things have evolved, but I made a conscious choice to be like, you know, maybe subconsciously as like with my children, I didn't carry on the way I was parented. I, I made very definite choices and it wasn't in like, oh, I'm never going to do things that way. It was, it was a very conscious daily choice of, no, I don't want to carry that forward with my kids. So I'm really proud of that, that it didn't happen. And, but at the same time, I do have reverence for what my mom went through uh, because I think we didn't have the words like PTSD back then, but I honestly feel like she had some sort of PTSD or, or mental issues that was a struggle for her. Whereas my grandmother, somehow she resolved it in her life. And I think she tried with her children, her other four children to not continue that as well. Cause she saw like how my grandfather was and she made conscious choices. So I think deep down, I must have picked up on that. And to this day, I mean, I honor both of them because, you know, the funny thing is I'm a Pisces and a rising Gemini. So duality has been the theme of my life since I was born. And like, I was even born like at 11, 11 and I weighed six pounds, six ounces. Like there was like always like this, I always was felt like I was walking like a tightrope through. So I've always seen the both sides of things. So I think that is um, a benefit at least for me, it's exhausting, but it's a benefit that um, hopefully has come through in the book. I do see both sides of the coin. I've had definitely similar, well, no, not similar, but maybe not, not in, re not in regards to your, your mother and your relatives. Cause like, I didn't really know my two grandparents, they passed away before. <clears throat> and then we also moved and then, but my mom is just now like, she's, she's in therapy and she's really trying to work through some of these issues that she has had for a really long time you know as a parent i think you keep certain things from your kids and you you want to keep them separate from them and i think now she's just like she's actually like sh talking to me about all the struggles that she's having yeah i mean perspective helps too and i think a lot of the times i was the same way with my children i spared them a lot of the graphic detail of you know my childhood but I've had them say the older they get, like, wow, I have a new appreciation for what you did while trying to raise us. And, and that's just so gratifying because I didn't do it for that. I did it because I wanted them definitely to have a, a better life and not deal with that. I mean, they didn't emerge unscathed, you know, cause like I said, we're humans and all things happen, but they definitely have an appreciation for it. I might be off topic here. Sorry. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, um, that generation, they just didn't really 
talk about things. Yeah. And, you know, that again, is the spectrum. Like my grandma, my grandmother rarely talked about stuff. I had to dig things out of her <laughs> and be like, Hey, why did this happen? And she'd be like, Oh, you and your questions. I was a very inquisitive child. And then my mother, on the other hand, I mean, I grew up with World War II daily. Like there was not a day that went by. She didn't tell me some horrific story um, or something that had affected her because I mean, I think that was her way of processing it. Um, it just sort of took us all along with her. And so I have a really vivid experience with the fallout of how war affects people. Jennifer, I don't think it was off topic because oh. I think just it, contributing to the overall point being that, you know, we're, we're saying words like ancestral recognition to like, mm. you know, balance with healing and breaking cycles, but there's a psychology to that just as much as there's a, you know, like whether or not anyone wants to put the ritual practice behind mm -hmm. it, like, still a yeah. psychology to it so the fact that your mom's even doing the work now in her 70s is you know like that's yeah. like yeah, pat yourself on the back because like oh, yeah. it's yes. part of the process of moving towards a more positive healthy way of living and mm -hmm. and actually lisa i appreciate that um at some point in the book you specifically mentioned something about like contentment or a life of contentment the word choice resonated with me because i've been very personally thinking in those terms especially since covid year 2020 you know what is it people really need and really want it's really simple at the end of the day you know like contentment is even a whole different level than just happy and positive because yeah. it's just kind of like a everything's just fine going with the flow you might not have much but it's just enough there's a sense of peace and safety mm -hmm. i think in the word contentment so anybody that's doing any work that's getting them towards that i think is on a good track <laughs> yeah oh i definitely agree thank you yeah safety and peace those are two very important feelings and things to have we enjoyed how in chapter four on cleansing your surroundings you gave suggestions of practice and ritual for every major room and space in your daily life even your car and your wallet which yeah. people don't really think about which is true i didn't think about the wallet or the car can you speak on these practices a bit and why are they important Oh, well, because like, and I also include the mailbox, which a lot oh, of people, yeah, you know, yeah. I never thought about the mailbox. And I was oh, like, my mailbox could use some of that. Yeah. Well, for me in the mailbox is this magic portal, you know, for packages <laughs> and things. Yeah. Because I mean, it's all part of the puzzle pieces that make up our life. And so I, I don't know, I, like I said, as a child, I was very observant. So to me, it was like the little things that you sort of take for granted. I it was a way of offering gratitude of just being like, oh, don't treat your money badly. Don't just crumple things up and pop it in your wallet. Because I mean, a lot of us, you know, you get to that point when you're really busy and your wallet looks like, you know, an explosion. I just went through like in my head, like, okay, all the little things that I do, like I said, I do all those things. And so it just, it gives a sense of clarity uh, to be able to do that. Because what I notice is the energy I feel after doing something. So this is what I usually say when somebody asks me about toxic positivity. So toxic positivity to me is like an unfinished sentence. So a lot of times it will say, you know, make your bed. Well, for many years I didn't make my bed because what's the point? You know, you just get back into it. But then I noticed one day, and again, I did not invent the wheel, but I made the bed and I changed, it just changed the energy in the room. And it just really struck me. It was one of those aha moments. 
Now I know why this is a good reason to make the bed. Let me move into other areas of my life. And so it was just like a little journey throughout my home. Like what else could I do? And I noticed how I felt afterwards and it was a good thing. And you know, like when you have a lot of good things, you want more of it. So I, I just sort of kept moving it through the house and then to my mailbox and, and things like that. I never made the bed, but my partner, he made his bed every day. Go back to my parents. Like I was visiting them yeah. recently. And she's always very on it about like, okay, you got to change your sheets once a <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah. Those are, aren't those dirty? Yeah. It was a whole week. I'm it's like, such a mom oh. thing. <laughs> and it gives you a boost because mornings are not my friend. And, you know, just to do that, it's like, okay, I did accomplish something. <laughs> and then that propels you to the next thing. So something to be said for. Well, the fact that that's all falling under a chapter about cleansing, we're talking literal cleansing, tidying things up and whatnot, but also mm -hmm. like you were talking about the energy and how that shifts things. Oh, when I was reading through that section in the book, I was like, this is like pagan feng shui. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I've never studied feng shui, so <laughs> just things I came up with. So in chapter six, on living in community, you write mm -hmm. about dealing with difficult and negative people through listening, acceptance, and holding boundaries. And I think that that's such an important part of the book and for the total formula, if you will, for crafting a content and positive life. Can you give the listeners a rundown? of those steps when you're encountering the negative people? The first revelation is listening because I thought, oh, I'm so, I'm an empath. I'm such a good listener. And I actually took a, a course with a local organization called Seek Healing. And I was in shock because I'm not a good listener at all. I was so busy trying to give answers or to help people. What I learned from that, I sort of break down in the book a little bit, but it's just really about pausing and learning the difference between sometimes people just need to vent and they don't want you to fix things. They just want to get it out of their system. And then sometimes they do want, you know, advice or, you know, suggestions. And so to learn that difference, I mean, that was such a revelation to me because I, I literally thought, I mean, I was so proud of myself as a mom. I'm such a good listener. And <laughs> my youngest uh, sent me straight on that. I was not. So uh, we have a lot better relationship now because he's also very clear and he'll even preface things by saying, I just need you to listen. I don't want any help. And I was like, oh, thank you. Cause that was such a shift in our relationship. And I wish I'd had that knowledge earlier. And then uh, acceptance, people love to change people. And it's almost like a form of resistance. You just feel like all oh, tense, like you want to change them. But when you accept, you're just like, relax, like, okay, well, this person will not change. And again, with my children, once I accepted the way they are, because, you know, as a mom, you have these big dreams and plans like I want my child to achieve this and to achieve that. My youngest, basically, he faced death three times before he turned 25. And that wow. was shattering. A lot of times came close to not surviving. And it was a, a real shift in my mothering. And as a person where I was just like, oh, I keep wanting him to go on these certain paths. And he's not. Because you know what, Lisa, that's not him. He is doing his own journey. And I used to say, I keep trying to tell my kids or friends or whatever, 
you know, we're driving along. I want you to avoid this pothole. And so I thought I was doing this big service by saying there's a pothole ahead. But every single time they kept going through the pothole. And I realized was like, OK, well, that's their journey. They may need to go through this pothole. It, there's nothing you can do. And to be really honest with myself, because I always said, oh, I wish I had that when I was younger. And, you know, they probably would have told me something and I would have still driven in that pothole myself. And so that realization just shifted a lot of my relationship and how it took a lot of pressure off me. And like I said, the resistance was gone. And when I accept the person for where they are, amazing things happen because I also list have zero expectations. And I had this elderly lady tell me, like she put my face in her hands and she goes, that is like the most brilliant thing because you can only go up from there. And I think we enter into a lot of things with expectations instead of just being in the moment and just appreciating what happens. And I've had so much magic happen just from being like, okay, let's see how it goes. Instead of in my head going, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And then we should probably talk about this. Instead, I'm just present and amazing things um, happen. And what was the third one? I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> boundaries. Yeah. Oh, boundaries. Yes. I have very firm boundaries. And I know a lot of people have trouble saying no, but I'm very protective of my personal energy and I don't like being drained. And I think the older you get, the easier it is to say no, but I do want people to practice saying no, because it does no good if you're a martyr. And I think in a lot of ways, I've had relatives that were martyrs and life is short. Do you want to be miserable your whole life? I definitely want people to practice boundaries and feel free to say no to things that they don't want to do. And even I was guilty of that because I was raised to be very polite, very European. And I've realized even myself in the past, you know, since COVID, I've just been very clear about like, no, thank you. I don't want to do this. And whereas before I would be feel obligated or, you know, polite, to say yes. And it has been such a shift because I always do it still with politeness, but I feel like that's really important to me. And I definitely benefit from it. It's kind of funny because as I was reading the book, I just kind of dictate in a voice text notes along the way. So I was making a note about this section because I wanted to come, you know, have a discussion point about it. I was like saying something about, you know, bring up the process uh, from chapter six, listening, acceptance, and boundaries. And then I thought I'm getting ahead of myself because I hadn't turned the page yet. And yeah. I was just filling in logically in my brain, like where I thought it was going to go. And I yeah. turned the page and then the next section was boundaries. And I was like, Oh, okay, good. I, I was right. I had no yeah. idea going with that. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Like you can't really have, like, I mean, they, they build on each other, right? Like if you're mm -hmm. listening well, it's going to be easier to accept the person where they're at. Yes. But if you're going to accept the person where they're at and where they're at is still kind of a little maybe yeah. stuck in the negative, you don't want that to bleed through, you know, into draining your life. So that's where the boundaries come in so that you can still have some semblance of a relationship with a person potentially. You know, I mean, sometimes the boundary is to cutting toxic people out of your life, obviously. But right. but if it's something that you're working on, but you're not changing the person then right. the only thing that's going to change is yourself in relation to the person and that's where like drawing a boundary kind of comes into play so i thought it's like oh yeah that totally makes sense yeah yeah because you know that that saying of like you can't change the person you can change your reaction to that person that was a struggle for me for many years because i would be like how how like how do i do this and then i um realized that 
I put my energy first, like my own personal energy first. And that is like the most precious thing, peace of mind. Everything else just falls into place from there. And there's nothing selfish about that at all, because I got to keep going. You know, I mean, I have to be there for my family and I don't have time to <laughs> to sit there and, and let other people drain my energy. I mean, does it still happen? Of course, you know, sometimes you're in these situations, but like I said, it's muscle memory. And so I say these things to myself and it helps, it helps shift the energy a lot. And yeah, you definitely, you definitely can't, can't change anybody. It's, they have, they have to do it. It's hard to see someone you, you love going through a hard time and you can't do anything for them. If they're open to like suggestions, you can offer them, but it's very difficult because ultimately they have to do it, but it does help for you to be there. I've, I've been in difficult situations where like, it's just so helpful to just be with my parents and mm -hmm. have people there. You know, they're there and they have you, they got your back. That can be very important. Even if they're not directly like doing something yeah. <laughs> like, they, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. And it's also the, the older you get, the less you care about people's opinions, you know? And I think that, is also so the book in a way is like a storehouse of oh my wisdom of my advanced years you know and would a person of 20 necessarily get something out of it maybe not but like if they read it and absorb it it can help them down the road because i do acknowledge that i mean we're human things happen i mean even though i've written these down and i do these things so that's why i like you know you just pick the book and get a little boost and keep trying and it depends on the person's life journey so at 20 they might have gone through a whole bunch of shit some of us haven't gone through some of this stuff and we're like you know yeah. in our 40s so it's just everyone's like different because like everyone's like oh you're too young to have health issues and i'm like well i've had them since i was uh yeah 28 so yeah no yeah. <laughs> not too young yeah it's not one size fits all i really didn't want the book to be that way i really want to acknowledge it that you know we're each on our own journey and if this is what's helped me and if like one thing helps you out of the book then that's that's makes me happy yeah, I think that does come across Thank in you. the book real well. So on that note, if you were to write this book again, what, if anything, <laughs> would you change? Or, and this is something I thought about just now, is there going to be another book? Are you going to um, write another book? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm always writing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but... Yeah, I'm going to take my time. I mean, the book just came out last June, so I'm going to take a breather. I've got different ideas, and I'm more than a positive pagan. So yeah, that's the part where it's just like, oh, what do I write about next? Like I said, I think what happened was when I wrote the book, it was all about fulfilling my dream of writing a book while well, I've, I've done that. But halfway through, it was just like, no, no, I actually genuinely want to help people, you know? And if it helps people, that was my purpose with it. And I'm so glad I discovered that because it, it colors everything else. Yeah. It's just a matter of deciding what I want to write about. Would I change things? No. Cause it was like such a journey. It wasn't straightforward my whole life. Like since I was little and discovered words, I was like, I'm going to write a book. And I always felt like, Oh, I have this book in me. And I literally thought it would just flow out. And it didn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just, um, it was, that book was overhauled in a couple of ways because the book I had in my head is not what came out. Um, but it's, it came out for the better. And I feel like things happened for a reason, definitely as I was going through it. So I'm really, really happy with how it turned out. I love the cover. Um, I think the the designer yeah. did the cover just was in my head and <laughs> um, 
put that out. Yeah, because I mean, it just it catches your eye. And those two symbols, the sun and the moon, to me, represent so much as well. You know, the balance of light and dark. And do we ever really get balanced? I don't think so. But we strive. So yeah, so I've really enjoyed the process. Why do you suppose it is that a true positive outlook can be so difficult to feel and express or even admit to and conjure up, you know, like how, how mm -hmm. as a culture, we kind of went where we had like that increase of the positivity to the point that we even had to come up with a phrase like toxic positivity, which <laughs> you hear and it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's like, yeah, no, that's a thing versus what would then constitute a true positivity. Like, why is that so difficult to acknowledge even when it is there or bring into the fold if, you know, despite, you know, because, you know, I mean, I know the saying misery loves company, yeah. but like nobody at the end of the day wants to be miserable. So no. it's like, what no. makes, what makes it so difficult, do you suppose? Ah, that's a really great question. Well, first of all, I, uh, you know, as I mentioned, my family's from Germany. So I feel like I was brought up more European than American. And I lived over there for a while, too. So there is just such a difference in culture. And I feel like the United States culture is all about strive, strive, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That on top of generational we don't talk about our feelings kind of things. A lot of the rest of the world, not and not just Europe, in a lot of ways, they appreciate the moment and it's not about striving. Like, you know, they get six weeks of vacation. That alone speaks volumes, you know, um, because you get a chance to recharge. And I feel like they, but also they are smaller, right? They're the countries in Europe are, you know, you can hopscotch to all these different countries and we're so sprawly and huge. And so again, there's that theme of duality where I appreciate both, you know, I, I love the, we have inventiveness and we get things done, but I think it's detrimental to our mental health. And the media certainly doesn't help because, you know, they're all about piling on the negativity and it, it takes a lot of work to discern the real news from the media generated stuff that's out there. And so I think that's why it's difficult. I think we love to pile on things that might make us feel good because it is easier to be miserable. I mean, it's easier to stay on the couch and watch TV and eat bad food and we all do it and there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But I don't think we know how to get ourselves out of it as easily. So that again was one of the purposes of the book because I grew up with this duality of the European outlook you don't live to work. It's not just about work. It's, it's just about like, you know, your family life and travel and perspective and farm to table is not new. I mean, that's the way they've been eating for forever. And I grew up with this kind of duality. So it was a little bit easier for me, I think, because I had that example. That is the challenge for a lot of things. And it's easy to pile on things that make us feel good because like I grew up with this. Like I said, my mom would be like, oh, you know, being positive. That's so naive. Like you don't understand how miserable the world is. Like she bought into that. And I get it. And I saw the negativity, but then I also see the beauty of this conversation or, you know, spring is coming and things are blooming. So it's a matter of making choices and changing your focus. And I learned how to do that. And I'm trying to help people to learn how to do that as well. I need to move to Europe. 
Yeah, I know. That's what I was, I really I was like, that's do. cool that you're able to draw that distinction. And also that makes me, well, it's not the first thing to make me feel like I'm in the wrong place in some ways. Jennifer, I know you would agree on that. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. I mean, I even think about like, and, and I'm, and I guess, you know, from my limited perspective in this country, that it is maybe just something that happens here. But I think about the number of times where if I got sick, I would still go into work mm-hmm. because the guilt that the workplace would make me feel for thinking to take a day to stay home to get well, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. like, well, that doesn't make any logical sense to like go in and get other people sick, but that's what people do all that's the time we because we've built up this culture where we don't allow ourselves any space mm-hmm. to dig ourselves out of the negativity. And that's why I think it's going to take, you know, it takes practices like you have in your book. It takes practices like you have to keep doing it yeah. in order to counteract that wall of noise we're up against all the time. I think we're seeing it. And I think, you know, especially with COVID, I feel like there's slowly a shift from COVID. I know a lot of people are just like, I don't want to work in the office. Like I don't want to work in the cubicle. And I I worked a corporate job. I understand completely. I lived that life. These practices helped me through it because I mean, I just remember whole days of going, this is wrong. This is wrong. We should not be living like this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think too, I mean, it does take work and you have to sort of keep an eye on the long-term goals, which I think is really hard because it takes a lot of work. And it's a weird dichotomy because it's like, we're all about the work, but you know, when we face something and it's just like, it's going to take a lot of like spiritual or emotional work, we sort of shy away from it. Like, oh, I can't deal with that right now. And I understand that. So that's why I think like little actions help move you through things so that you can get to that ultimate goal. I would do like creative things to help counterbalance that kind of world and and what a gift. I mean, your podcast with you and Ellen, it's just, you're making the world a better place by doing this. And, and, you know, I mean, I think this is a wonderful podcast and it, and it helps you're getting your words out into the world of stories from the earth and, and people that you meet and giving perspective. I mean, I think that's such a gift. Yeah. What we have to do to survive like monetarily, <laughs> you sort of have to compartmentalize it and really focus on like the gifts that you can give and the change that you can make in your little corner of the world. And I think like as a, as a child, I think I read, or maybe it was high school, like Voltaire has resonated with me. It's like, we each have a garden. And if we tend to our own gardens, the whole world would be filled with these beautiful gardens. And that went straight to my soul. And that's sort of just been like my guideline ever since. And the world is overwhelming. Trust me, I tend to my garden <laughs> and it helps. So yeah, yeah. I've definitely been like, you know, okay. The, the podcast has been amazing. And, um, and you're going to be at Herb Fest. We're going to be, I know, I know. I just. Um, I'm going to be at that one. So yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, it's crazy because. And I've, I've probably talked about this to death, but like, just, I've never had a thing where like, I'll, I'll ask people and they'll be like, yes, I can be on your podcast. You want to do a live podcast? Yay. Okay. The community support has been uh, definitely behind this podcast and I'm blown away. So I'm just, yeah. I'm excited. I bought a <laughs> I finally bought a video camera after like three years. Oh, wow. 
So, you know, for us to, thank you for us to film it. Hopefully this will just lead to more mm-hmm. live podcasts and other things. But I was just, I was like, how did, how did I convince y'all that this was a <laughs> <laughs> Byron Ballard's always like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, you wrote a million books and you're like yeah. super kind of famous-ish in my opinion, like and constantly blown away. And- yeah, because it opens you up to more possibility. You know, like when you're in a, a more positive frame of mind, I, you know, that's something I noticed, you know, it's just like more things happen. And if you're negative and shut down, things, things won't happen. And so it's just a matter of getting to point A. I, I understand that is definitely always a struggle but once you're at point a sometimes getting to point b is just like you know that, like that. right yeah lisa so, yeah. when you just said that it reminded me of this article i read like years and years ago and it was one of those things where it just like stuck with me because it just kind of was like whoa blew my mind i don't remember who was doing the experiment but there was like the psychological experiment kind of testing the idea of how positivity or negativity does affect bringing things in oh your yeah mind. And they basically, the people who were doing the study would put like an ad into a paper or a magazine or whatever. It would have like an opportunity in it that would like people could take advantage of. Right. And they tried doing it where they like put it in like different, different parts of the print, um, different sizes, you know, so that it could catch different people's attentions in different ways. But what they found then when they presented it to their sub, their test subjects, was that the people who were more prone to a negative approach to things mm-hmm. would miss it yeah. entirely. And then the people who were more positive, nobody knew what they were supposed to be looking for anything when they were given this thing, but like yeah. they would inevitably, no matter how big or how small it was printed or what, how far or how mm-hmm. early in the edition it was, it was printed that they would happen to catch it. And then therefore it opened the door of opportunity. So it's like speaking to that if you're already just kind of being open mm-hmm. then it sets the sets the stage for the next things to kind of roll out oh what a great segue i love that you're just looking at different things you're mm-hmm. so you're 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 going to be noticing different things yeah. yeah yeah because you're you know you're more, more focused and like i said if you focus your energy like on the beauty you're bringing in the world with the podcast and herb fest. I mean, an herb fest alone is such a feel good, no matter how frenetic the energy is. I love that. You're just more open and other things will show up in your view as opposed to, uh, I hate my life. Get that. I've done it myself, but you get sort of addicted to it because it's just like, Oh, what else could happen? You know? And it certainly keeps you going. Yeah. Well, it took me a long time to also just admit that, Oh, I guess I am a creative person. And so like I'm supposed to be creating things, but, I have so much gratitude and thanks for like all these amazing people who we've interviewed and had said yes and who've been so supportive and it's crazy um you know i had this idea for a very long time before i acted on it and then it just blew up because i never knew so many people just wanted to talk oh yeah and they're like oh you're giving people a space to talk and i was like oh oh, that's important yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay i will And I'm so glad you moved. So yeah. (laughs) You know, people think I'm shy, but you know, you stick a camera on me. So (laughs) (laughs) chapter eight is titled When It Gets Dark. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there how sometimes gratitude lists are not enough. Can you speak generally on what these dark times may be and how to work 
with them and through them? And do you have an example of challenges in your life, which the practices in which the practices in this book helped you overcome? Yeah, gratitude lists sometimes aren't enough. I have anxiety, so <laughs> uh, to re uh, it is like muscle memory, like I said. So to reorient myself, sometimes you know I'm just not in a space to be grateful, um, even though I know it'll work in editing this book. Like here I am, just in the midst of making a dream come true. And, you know, I can't get out of bed. I can't write. I can't edit. I can't, I cannot look at this book one more second. And a few months went by and I was almost in danger of losing this book completely. I said to myself all of a sudden, wait a minute, you, you wrote a book on this whole subject. Just start doing those things. And it is something inherent I've known since a child. And I think I did learn it from my grandmother is just like action makes you feel better. And so I would just start out small. I mean, there's some days where it's really hard to get out of bed and, you know, and life itself is a struggle. Uh, the other time was, like I said, my youngest faced death like three times before he turned 25 and his last round was cancer. And that was hard <laughs> and a huge challenge. Having lived through quite a few deaths in my family, this was visceral and because it's your child those actions that I took in the book, they helped me get through it because I pretty much only had myself to rely on. He literally had just moved to Asheville and went straight into the hospital. He was limping and uh, we just thought, oh, you sprained your foot or something. And it turned out to be like really scary blood clots. They were surprised that he was still upright and still alive. And then that segued into cancer. It was a really hard, dark time. And the actions helped me go through because, you know, I had to, you know, your head goes into a dark space. And if I can distract myself with action, I think I've done it so long. I liken it to an ember inside of me. And it's really interesting because like Anderson Cooper's mom is Gloria Vanderbilt and she was a fellow Pisces and she'd been through a lot of stuff too. And I heard her say in one of her last interviews that she always felt like she had a diamond inside that, that kept her going. And I was like, oh, she gets it. Like, it's the same thing. I, I call mine an ember, whatever you want to call it. It's just something that you hold on to that keeps you going. Some people may call it faith. Some may, you know, it might be your spirituality, but it's a fire in me that was just like, I will get through this somehow. So yeah, so those are a couple of the challenges just in the past couple of years, but he's in remission. He's doing really, really well. And his life is uh, so much better. And um yeah, and I'm so incredibly proud of him because he's he's faced quite a lot in his young life. That was going to be my next question. Was, and he's better, right? Yeah, he's in remission. And it was one of those things where he sort of has had these magical stepping stones, too, because literally if he had not moved when he did, he would not have survived. And we didn't know that. And like I said, you know, it was this innocuous. He was limping like, oh, you have bad feet like we have in the family and segued into this horrific time. But like I said, he learned so much out of it and it caused a shift in him of choices that he had to make in his life. I'm very grateful he moved when he did, that I was here to help him and be with him and do all these things. And we had a great community and family and everything, but it was pretty much just him and me. And I was just like, this will not happen on my watch. You know, it not. Mm -mm. And so that ember is what I clung to, to just keep me going. Because I think a lot of times positivity does come from a place of pain uh, because everybody I've ever talked to that's been positive, I would say 99.9% .9 have not had, you know, this, this perfect, wonderful, carefree life. I think you sort of make mention of that at one point in the book, that that whole idea that you can't have one without the other, like you don't know what darkness is 
if you haven't been seen the light and you don't really understand the light if you haven't known what darkness is. So Yeah, because it gives you perspective and that helps um, a whole lot, you know, because you get into this dark hole and hopefully this book will help you crawl out of it a little bit. You know, big believer in therapy, big believer in, you know, 12 steps and all these things. But you have to make the choice to do it yourself. So these are really simple, easy actions that... You know, and especially if if you follow like paganism or if you're a witch or anything, you you have these these traditions that we've you know we've had. Like I grew up with basically this is like folk magic. Like if you had said to my grandmother or my mother, "Oh, this is witchcraft" or something, they would have been like, "What are you talking about? This is what you know. This is what Austrian people do." And you know, I acknowledge that, and I didn't really even have the language myself until I moved here. And then talking to people, and, and I was like, oh, I do that already. Like, I've been doing that my whole life. And I just didn't have language for it because it's just something my crazy family did. When you're talking about action, it's definitely helped me. When you're sick or you're in like a, or you're in just a bad emotional place, it helps because you sometimes you feel very like you don't have control mm-hmm. of the situation. And it helps you feel like I can do something. Yeah. It seems small, but I can do something that can help. And that's huge. Even if it's just like, I'm going to take a walk outside today or three times a week or whatever. Like, I'm just going to do that. This is what I'm going to do. Or drink a glass of water, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I am going to watch an hour of my favorite show and just sit on the couch and, yes, you know, maybe have a cookie, you know, like this stuff like that. Like, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do that. This is, this is something for me. And, yeah, um, but but this the the action which you you know this book is all about things you do, and that's important because yeah you're right I mean because we I think you're right like when we're in that black hole we feel powerless and you know just doing something helps us feel like oh we do actually have power we can get out of something and probably yeah. even by way of putting things into a visible action you have a ripple effect I'm not saying you. Sh- you shouldn't just do things because you're trying to have a ripple effect to other people because that goes back right. to, well, you can't change people. But you never know if it will. Like, I'm sure that being in your presence and you doing the work that you do for the positivity had to have had a ripple effect to your son when he was mm-hmm. going through such a hard mm-hmm. time. You know, that's hugely important that, that yeah. they can have that sort of outreach. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, he's actually said that. So, I mean, that means a lot to me um, because I do, I do want to have a ripple effect. Like I said, I want, I want everybody to have their garden, you know, and um, make this world a better place because it can only go up from here. Right. So, yeah. I won't necessarily read the whole thing verbatim because part of me feels weird, like reading someone's own words back to them when they're right there. But I I do, I did want to mention we had, Jennifer and I had set a few quotes aside that we weren't sure we would get to. This one's a bit of a disclaimer and probably should have come near the beginning of the show. But for the listener's sake, I do think it is worth pointing out that you also make a point to say in the book to not let the word pagan hold you back, whatever your beliefs, religious, spiritual or otherwise, that anyone can kind of see that it's, you know, about nature's beauty and most people can relate to that and you said that you're not interested in labels or gatekeeping or exclusion and you just kind of prefer the umbrella of paganism to include anybody who just has a pull towards that sort of perspective nature. So I think that's important because a lot of people might could benefit from the book and they wouldn't realize that just because of that 
word in that title, they might not pick the book up. So it's worth yeah. pointing out that there's something in there for, for everybody, I think, if they approach it with that open mind and don't let a, a word box them in. And then that also what you had mentioned, that the word positive in the book is meant to be talking about an energy that flows. Um, yes. That's really important, too. So. Yeah, thank you. Glad you made those distinctions in the book. <laughs> I did. And actually, I have to add to that because like, I have a lot of Catholic friends and they've picked up the book because they know me. But they were like, oh, you know, because I mean, Catholics have a lot of their own little rituals. Mm -hmm. and, things, and yeah. They were just like, oh, I can do all of this. And I was like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer, did you have anything out of oh, the quotes you yeah, set aside? Yeah, I will read this because <laughs> it's not too long. One of the foundations of being a positive pagan is also this basic principle. It's not all or nothing. The mm -hmm. purpose of this book is not to convey this way is the only way. It's just one way. Mm -hmm. A beautiful multi-layer, full of possibilities, action-oriented kind of way. Being a positive pagan is not just an outlook. It's also an action and movement. It is making things happen, working yourselves, working with others, and helping the community when you can. So that's yeah. also from the intros. I thought that was really nice good. Little summary. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, yeah, it's it, it's important to me too. Um, I had little arguments with my editor about this. I want people to feel comfortable with what they choose because I think they're afraid of doing something wrong. Oh, if I don't use this crystal. And I, I want it to be a springboard to what works for you individually. So I would suggest like herbs and crystals, but I I you know try to include like, you know, if you feel more comfortable with XYZ crystal or this or please do that. This is not the only way, but you may find you're more connected to something else. And that's really important because I think a lot of times too, we don't know how to follow our inner voice and that takes practice. And I, I really want people to follow their inner voice because that is so important and so empowering. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate this. This was yes, so much thank fun. You, Lisa. Yes, thank you. Thank you for, for coming on and chatting. Lisa's links will be in the description. So please check out book and Lisa do you have a website I do lisawagoner.com all right that will also be in the description if you're in Marshall and you happen to be in Marshall yeah <laughs> stop by of Wand and Earth because it's an awesome shop as well yes it is thank you yes uh pick up some some crystals they have a lot there's a lot yes have crystals <laughs> yes and now we have a tea house as well so that's, yeah that's so great stop have some tea exactly you can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on TikTok, on Instagram. So please, please check us out there. We will have a Patreon at some point, but um, if you want to donate and support the podcast, you can go to our um, spot Spotify for Podcasters page. <laughs> link in the description and um also you can leave us a uh, a rating and a review on apple on apple podcast so that would also be incredibly helpful to the show um and we will uh talk to you next time so great thanks bye. so much for having me bye, bye.